Well, good morning, Moberly. How is everybody? Great to see you today. If you got a Bible, hold it up. Let me see it. I want you to shake it at the devil. Or you may be reading off of the device or something. I, we have ladies in our church in Tyler. They use an iPad so they can make the letters that big. So main thing is you have a copy of God's Word. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And today we're going to talk about what makes heaven happy. You know, last Thursday was a very important holiday in the life of our country. It was Veterans Day. I want to take a moment right now and ask all of our veterans, would you please stand and let us tell you, thank you for your service to the country. All our veterans, thank you so much. Thank you for your service. God bless you guys and ladies. You know, you're the reason we're not speaking German or Japanese here today or Korean or something like that. Thank you for your service. Uh, I'm glad you're back. Um, uh, I'm going to be preaching on the parables uh, for the next few weeks. And actually, I wrote a book called Jesus Storyteller. And there were some copies at Guest Central, or you can order from Amazon if you like, uh, as an ebook. Uh, but we're going to be studying the parables of Jesus over the next few weeks, God willing, if you vote me in tonight as your interim pastor. I'm glad you're back to hear me again because, you know, that doesn't always happen after you've heard me once. I had a lady leave Green Acres one Sunday, and I think she was trying to give me a compliment. She said, oh, pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. <laughs> now, some of you will get that about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Another lady said to me, oh, pastor, you don't know how much your messages mean to my husband since he lost his mind. <laughs> I just try to help any way I can. So what would you say are some of the greatest chapters of all the Bible? Well, Psalm 23 would definitely be one. John 3, John 15, uh, Romans 8, without a doubt. Revelation 19 is one of my favorites. But I'd also say that Luke 15 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible because in this little chapter, Jesus tells us three stories that tell us what God is really like. He tells the story of a lost lamb and we see God's sacrificial love. He tells us the story of a lost coin, and we see God's searching love. And he tells us the story we talked about last week, the parable of the loving father. We see God with his suffering love. So today we're going to look at these first two parables in, the, in Luke 15 and then talk about uh, what makes heaven happy. So as, as was our custom and your custom also, would you honor God for the reading of his word by standing? I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Luke 15, 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Now, notice this is a mixed audience. These are the ordinary, common sinners, tax collectors. The common people heard him gladly, but they were the only ones there. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Thank God Jesus welcomes sinners, and you say amen to that. So he told them this parable, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance or at least don't think they need repentance. Verse 8, or what woman 
who has ten silver coins, literally drachmas, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Father, we think that whatever makes heaven happy really should make us happy as well. So I pray you'll give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is trying to say to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. I love the story I heard one time about a bag lady in New York City named Edith. And she would usually go to a certain soup kitchen and have dinner and they preached the gospel there, but she, she was never willing to give her heart and life to Jesus, just went for the soup. But one night, she went up to the director and said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And he said, well, what made you change your mind? She said, well, I never knew that my name is in the Bible. He said, well, ma'am, your, your name's not in the Bible. Your name is Edith. And she said, yes, you read it tonight. You read it in the scripture reading. And he was reading in the King James Version and it says, Luke 15, 2, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. <laughs> she said, there's my name. Good for her. Yeah, her name was in the Bible and your name's in the Bible and my name's in the Bible because we are there loved by a God who is so in deeply in love with you that if you had a refrigerator, your picture would be right on it. You know, we need to do what Jesus did. He said he received sinners. We need to be a church that opens our arms to sinners. You don't have to be, have your act together to come here. In fact, we only welcome people in this church who have problems and need help. You know, the church was never intended to be a museum for shiny saints. God intended the church to be a hospital for sick sinners. So what makes heaven happy? Building a big building? Owning a lot of property, having a thousand well-dressed Texans gather to study the Bible and worship, well, not according to Jesus. Heaven gets more excited over one snotty-nosed little boy who gives his heart to Jesus than when a thousand well-dressed people gather to study the Word of God. Heaven gets excited when a boy, a girl, a teenager, a man or a woman turns from their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, I came across an old country gospel song by Larry Bryan, in which he puts it this way. When the Model T first hit the street, it didn't bring all heaven to its feet. And when the computer was born, that didn't blow old Gabriel's horn. There's only one thing that we're sure about that can make those angels cheer and shout. It's when a sinner makes the Lord his choice. That's when the angels do rejoice. Now, heaven doesn't strike up a band for any old occasion at hand. It's got to be a special thing to make those angels smile and sing. Now, when the United States became a nation, there was no angelic celebration. But when one lost sinner comes back home, they jump for joy around the throne. I say amen to that. Let me share with you three truths about the God that we serve and worship. First of all, let's look at the parable of the lost lamb. And the lesson that we learn here is God loves you as an individual. He loves you as an individual. Now, of course, we know that God so loved the world. He gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But he loves you individually. 
And the Bible says, for instance, Jesus said that God cares for you so individually that the very hairs of your head are numbered. And for some of you guys, that's not very hard to do these days. We know that. He loves you so much individually that he said, I've taken you and engraved you on the palm of my hand. God loves you individually. And we see this shepherd going after this one lost lamb. Let me talk to you about what it means to be lost. I believe that the saddest experience of life is to be lost. I think the dirtiest four-letter word is L-O-S-T. I've heard of people who lost their fortune, lost their health, lost their mind, but none of those are as bad as having a lost soul. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and he or she loses their soul? Isaiah 53, 6, the Bible says, we all went astray like sheep We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him, that's Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. You know what the Bible calls us sheep? I mean, that's the main animal that we're compared to in the Bible. It calls us sheep because you can say three things about sheep, and they all start with the letter D. Sheep are dumb. They're some of the dumbest animals in the animal kingdom. They've got a tiny little brain. How many of you have ever been to a circus and watched a train lamb show? No. They're not not smart. They're dumb like us. They are defenseless. You know, God has given some animals teeth, claws, wings to fly away, a hard shell. But sheep are totally defenseless. They have to be protected by a shepherd. And, And we also are defenseless against the wiles of the devil. That's why we need to put on the whole armor of God and trust in Jesus Christ. So they are dumb, they are defenseless, and they are directionless. They get lost. Think about it. I mean, we've all heard stories of dogs and cats that were reunited with their owners after going thousands of miles, and we all know what a homing pigeon can do, and the migration of the birds, that's amazing. But sheep will just walk around literally in circles until they die. They don't have any direction. Sheep get lost a lot, and that's what this story is all about. It's about a man that had a hundred sheep and one of them is lost and he goes after it. Have you ever been lost? It's a frustrating experience, isn't it? I mean, like geographically lost. I remember what happened one time when I was in college, which is a long time ago, way before GPS. I was driving back. I was a college student driving back from South Carolina to Birmingham, Alabama. And somehow I got off the main road in Atlanta, if there even was a main road then. And I got so lost for about 90 minutes. I'm driving around, didn't know north, south, east. We didn't have any idea where I was. Now, ladies, I know what you're thinking, but yes, three times I stopped and asked for directions, and that still didn't help. So finally, when I found the west side of Atlanta, I said, if I never come here again, I mean, being lost can be a frustrating experience, but when you're spiritually lost, it can be an eternally damaging experience. Here's the second thing we learn about this parable Jesus searches for us in order to save us. Now, that's the point of the parable, that it is the the shepherd who made what most people would call an illogical choice. He left 99, and there's an old gospel song about the 99 and the sheepfold, but if you read the words of Jesus, he left them out in the open. And he went and he searched for that one lost lamb. Now, those of you that are in business, you're thinking, well, you know what, a 1% loss Now, that's not too bad. 1% attrition, that's not too bad. But with God, 
It's one too many. And so I can just imagine that shepherd as the sun was setting, you know, he was counting the sheep and he was saying, okay, there's Tony, there's Debbie, there's Amanda, there's Mary. Where's Snowflake? I haven't seen Snowflake all afternoon. And then he, just, he sees some tracks. And immediately he leaves the 99 sheep and he goes and he searches diligently until he finds Snowflake. Maybe she was in a ditch or something. And he found her. And what do you think he did when he found her? Do you, do you think he fussed at her? You dumb lamb. Can't you stay next to the, to the flock? You think he took a whip and drove her back? No. He picked her up, put her on his shoulders, and took her back. And then when he got back, he called all his friends and said, let's have a party. I bet they didn't have lamb chops. Let's have a party and celebrate because my lamb that was lost is found again. And you know that's how much God loves you, that he searches for you. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You know, that's what makes our faith different than any other religion. In any other religion, the adherents are trying to seek and find their God and appease their God. They're trying to reach out to their God. But in the Christian faith, it is God who reached down to us to offer to have a love relationship with us. And that's the way God is. One person matters to God. Now, if you've ever watched any of the Star Trek movies, you know who Mr. Spock is, right? Live long and prosper. And in the Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan... You know, there's a scene at the end where Spock is in this part of the ship that has a lot of radiation leak, and, and he knows he's about to die, and, you know, Captain Kirk says, don't do it, Spock, don't do it, Spock. And then Spock makes this famous statement. He says, Jim, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. And that's true in a Star Trek fiction movie, science fiction but the truth of the reality of the Word of God is in God's eyes, one person's need is as great as any other person's need or everybody else's need. God loves you individually. That's what we learn from this parable. Let's move on to the next parable, the lost coin. Here's what the message we learn from this. God has gone to extreme measures to rescue you. So here's a woman has 10 drachmas and loses one. Now, once again, we think 10%, that's not too bad. But she turns her house upside down. She moves out all the furniture. She, she takes a candle and puts it in every corner. She sweeps out the floor. Why is she looking so diligently? Because actually drachmas, even during the time of Jesus, were relatively inexpensive coins, maybe about two cents in today's dollars. Well, some scholars have suggested that when a Jewish bride was married, she wore a headdress that contained 10 silver coins. And so it might be that she was a bride-to-be, and this was going to be part of her bridal uniform, but for whatever reason, she frantically searches until she finds it. Now, I think we've all had the experience, haven't we, of losing something, whether it's a phone, key, something like that, and it just drives us crazy till we find it. I mean, I've looked many times for my glasses only to find that they're on my head. A few years ago, my wife and I were planning a trip to Europe, back when you could travel to Europe. And we were packing the, a couple of nights before we were going to leave, and we couldn't find her passport. And I mean, we turned her closet, our bedroom, all the drawers upside down. 
We couldn't find it. And so we called our travel agent and said, well, here's the only thing you can do. Tomorrow, Cindy's going to get on a flight from Tyler to, to Houston, because that was back when we had daily flights from Tyler to Houston. She's going to go through the passport office, expedited process, pay a lot of extra money for that. Then she's going to get on a plane in Houston and meet you at DFW for y'all to fly out to here. That was going to be a hassle. But that passport was lost. So my wife, we already made the airline reservations to Houston. She had already gotten in the car to drive to the Tyler Airport. And I started searching one more time. Now, my wife has more than a few shoes and purses. Let me just say that in a nice way. More than a few. And so I just reached up and took one of the purses, didn't know if she'd checked it or not. And there in that side pocket, there was. She had forgotten she'd gone on a mission trip to Canada a few weeks before, and she had left it in the purse that she used. So I called her up. I said, hey, I found the passport. She turned around and came back, and we canceled all of, all of the uh, airline reservations and the reservation of the passport office. And when she came back, I want to tell you, there was joy in the presence of David and Cindy over one passport that was found. We all know the joy of finding something that we thought was lost. Well, that's the same thing this woman did. I think there's a couple of lessons we can take away from this. She used a lantern to light the dark corners. And in the same way, Jesus lives to give you light. He lives to give you light. That's, in fact, that's who he is and what he is. John 8, 12 says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the Bible, light is truth. And there was a time when all of us were walking in darkness and we were children of darkness. But then we came to the light of the world, Jesus, and now we've, we've passed from death to life, from darkness to light, and now we are children of light. That's the blessing that Jesus is, is the light of the world. Here's a second truth that we learn from this parable. Jesus died to sweep out your dirt. You see, God created each one of us to have a love relationship with him but we're born with a problem and that problem is s-i-n it's sin and it can be compared to filth and dirt because it says in isaiah that even the best things we do our righteous acts are like dirty filthy rags and there is we need to be cleansed and god promises as far back as the old testament though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow and so Jesus came to wash away our sin just as she swept out the, the, her house. See, back in those days, the houses had dirt floors, but they had straw mats on top of it. The coin might have gotten under one of those straw mats, so she pulled them out, swept it again until she found it, and then she rejoiced. And the same thing has happened to us. When we come to Jesus Christ, he completely forgives our sin. He erases our sin. He sweeps them away with his blood. In fact, I have a question to ask, and I'd like for everybody to answer it out loud if you know the answer to this question, and I think most of you do. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? It is the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. A few years ago, I was teaching on the blood of Jesus, and a very astute, inquisitive college student asked me, Pastor, can you explain to me how? The blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And if I don't know the answer to the question, I don't try to make up one. So I just said, no, I do not understand it. I cannot explain it. But you know, I also don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give white milk. 
but that didn't stop me from enjoying a tall, cold glass of milk. And I don't know how the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. I just know it does, and I'm just going to claim it and rejoice in it. So that's what we learn from the parable of the lost lamb, the lost coin. And finally, I want us to focus a little bit on this point, point the joy of salvation. And here's the point. Heaven rejoices over every changed life. What is the one thing that all three of these parables have in common? When that which was lost was found, there was joy, there was rejoicing. You know, a few years ago, Campus Crusade for Christ had a campaign. It's probably 25 years ago now. And I participated in it because I, I grew up under Campus Crusade for Christ, learned the four spiritual laws. And it was, it was this. If you remember, raise your hand. It was three words. It was, I found it. Anybody remember that? I found it. Yeah, yeah. You, most of you are too young to remember that. Now, although I participated in it, I didn't believe it. You know why? Because I don't think I found it. I didn't find Jesus. I didn't find eternal life. God found me. He searched me out and he found me. I mean, when it comes to salvation, the only part I had in it was the sinning. He did the saving. And the Bible says every time there is someone who comes to faith in Christ, there's joy in the presence of angels. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Let's just stop there for a minute. At this moment right now, do you have inexpressible and glorious joy? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I firmly believe that the Bible teaches you cannot lose your salvation. But I also firmly believe you can lose the joy of your salvation. And I want to ask you to consider very carefully this question. Have you lost the joy of your salvation. And furthermore, I want to say, if you have the joy of Jesus in your heart, would you please notify your face? Because there's a way that the joy of the Lord manifests itself. You know what I've done for years on Sunday morning when I'm driving from my house to the church building? Same thing I did this morning when I drove up here to these facilities. I, I constantly sing these old choruses like, the one I sing the most, and I sang this morning, is this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Sing it with me. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. And I make up all these verses like, I've got the Baptist belief that baffles the Buddhist down in my heart. <laughs> down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the Baptist belief that baffles the Buddhist down in my heart. And I just sing those silly little happy, joyful songs. And I promise you, every time I drive up getting ready to preach, I'm already full of the joy of the Lord. You know, you can't feel your way into your blessing, but you can faith your way into joy. You really can. You can faith your way into joy. If you don't believe that, let's just do a simple little experiment. We're all going to say praise the Lord 10 times out loud. And each time I want you to get a little more excited about it. Okay, just praise the Lord. Say it with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give it to me now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give it all you got. Praise the Lord. I wish you could see what I see. I see smiles on faces 
You, you can praise your way or faith your way into rejoicing. And that's what we ought to do because heaven rejoices. We ought to rejoice as well. You know, in London, you can always tell where the queen is in residence. When she's at Buckingham Palace, there's a special flag with a big E on it that flies over Buckingham Palace. When she's at another palace, uh, the flag flies there. You can always tell where the queen is by that flag. And joy is the flag that flies over the person who is indwelt by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Many of you might even know a friend of mine and Tyler, Sasha Vukeya. She's an oncologist. And about 25 years ago, when she and her husband moved to Tyler, she was a Yugoslavian refugee for a number of years in her early years. And the Catholic Church really helped them to immigrate. So when they first came to Green Acres, Sasha came up to me and she pointed her finger in my face. She said, I'm going to come to your church, but I'm Roman Catholic and I will never be a Baptist. I'll never be a Baptist. I said, okay, Sasha, just just come and learn and enjoy. And so after a couple of years of her coming every Sunday, listening to the word of God proclaimed and learning the love and fellowship of our church, she took a trip to Spain, to Majorca, Spain, where they claimed to have all seen these apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she saw it for the scam that it was and came back and said, Pastor, I'm ready to trust Jesus and be baptized. And I remember when we baptized her in the baptistry in the worship center. Because I always would ask the candidates being baptized, I'd say a few words about them. Then I'd say, tell us, who is your Lord? And your little kids are so shy, they'll, they'll mumble, you know, Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Lord. You know, I'm always telling them, say it like you mean it. Jesus is my Lord. <laughs> so that night, Sasha's there. And I say, Sasha, tell us, who is your Lord? She said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So she said it louder than that. And everybody in the whole congregation jumped to their feet in a standing ovation. I baptized her. She came up with both hands raised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She hugged my neck. They said, well, that's a little out of the ordinary, isn't it? No, I think that really ought to be the ordinary. I think most of us have become so subnormal in our Christianity that when someone acts normally, we label them as abnormal. So I want to challenge you today. Don't lose the joy of your salvation. And whatever makes heaven happy, let's, make, let's be happy about it as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It encourages us. It blesses us. It challenges us. And I pray that you will make a difference in the lives of everyone who heard from your spirit today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.